This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional help. If you or someone you know is facing difficulties, I advise you consult a psychologist. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Psych for Life with Dr. Amanda Ferguson. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Ferguson. Today, I'll be discussing menopause and alcohol, a slippery slope, and why self-compassion works with coach and speaker, Sarah Rusbatch. Sarah is a certified women's health and well-being coach, an accredited grey area drinking coach, and a keynote speaker sharing her journey to sobriety and the impact of alcohol on mental health to global audiences. She's also the face behind Perth's growing alcohol-free movement. Welcome, Sarah, back to the podcast. And today we're discussing, of course, menopause and alcohol, which is so related to our last podcast on grey drinking and alcohol abuse. And as a certified health and well-being coach, I understand you you work a lot with women with menopause. I do find that the majority of women who come to me for help with their drinking are in the menopause years. And I think there's a few reasons for that, but I would say the majority of the reasons that um, the age that I'm working with women is probably 40 to 55, which of course for most of us is when those perimenopause symptoms start. And I mean, I don't know about you, but I think that there is so little information available out there of what perimenopause symptoms are, what to watch out for. And, And there are so many women suffering in silence because they don't have the knowledge or the information to be able to go, ah, this is what's probably happening. I know because it's such a gradual drop in the hormones. And my latest um, understanding of research is that by age 42, 25% of women are in perimenopause. And as you say, most people don't know it because it's just a gradual demise. It's a gradual fog. It's a gradual loss of energy and spark and even depression that's building. And as you say, you know, this the dysregulation of our nervous system that's being really played with by the perimenopause. Absolutely. I've got clients who were clearly in perimenopause and went to doctors and were given antidepressants. Now, the caveat of that is I do know that for some people, antidepressants will be a really useful thing to do that does help perimenopause symptoms. But to not even mention that it could be perimenopause and for the client to leave thinking, oh, well, I'm depressed, there's something yes. wrong with me. Yes. It's a very different mindset to going, oh, there's a, a chemical change happening in my brain because yeah. of the change in my hormone levels. So taking these tablets is going to really help that. The stigma that's attached to mm. people going, oh, you're depressed, there's something wrong with you, you therefore need to take antidepressants. It's two very different kinds of conversations. Very different, yes, because one's a mental illness, another one's a biological change of life. Um, and I've also heard that often blood tests don't pick up these hormonal drops because they're so subtle. They're like a feather. And yet they can make for significant changes in our mood and, and biology, even when not picked up yet, not able to be picked up yet by a blood test. Yeah, exactly. And it was interesting. I was doing a talk with a menopause expert um, a few weeks ago, and I sent an email out to some of my mum friends and said, and we're all kind of you know early to mid 40s. And I said, oh, I'm doing this talk. You guys should watch it. And one of my friends replied, oh, well, I'm nowhere near menopause yet, so I don't need to. Mm. Because people don't realize that mm-hmm. perimenopause starts 10 to 15 years 
before we've actually gone through menopause and there is such little information that's available for women to actually understand the changes that can happen in their body in those years leading up to menopause and if we've got that knowledge then that's so empowering right so empowering um and uh, as you say people don't understand or realize because there's not much mention of menopause in society or women's sort of biological changes at all. And we know also that stress can bring forward menopause. Yeah. And and also because I think it's important to note that, you know, as we're going through those perimenopause symptoms, like the drop in progesterone, which is what makes us feel calm and relaxed. Yes. then the stress levels increase. Yes. The, the fluctuation in hormones can lead to a higher amount of cortisol being yeah. in the body, which leaves us feeling more stressed. Mm. So of course, we know that alcohol is a depressant. And yeah. so if we're feeling stressed and anxious and the body is not producing progesterone as much of it, then turning to alcohol becomes a really quick solution yeah. to, to not feeling the way that we were feeling when we're feeling stressed and anxious. That's right. So are you suggesting from age 40, women should really be mindful that they may now be in perimenopause? Absolutely. Just starting to educate and inform women of understanding there's not something wrong with you. Mm. It's not your fault. Um, Because so many women, I, I, I heard something the other day that said, men mostly drink to enhance a good mood and to socialize. And women are mostly drinking, searching for oblivion. Oh, how sad. Yeah. Yeah. And middle-aged women is the only demographic where we're seeing continuous rise in alcohol use. Whoa. And do you think it's mostly because of this undiagnosed menopause, uh, lack of understanding or awareness of menopause, or that combined with such a busy sort of squeeze point in life where there's usually young children and aging parents? I think it's a combination of both, but I think that not enough is being talked about that the fact that this generation of women are probably the first generation that are juggling as much as they are in terms of many are working full time, but they're doing the lion's share of raising kids, managing all the household jobs, looking after aging parents, but there's still that pressure to look good, to make sure you're cooking home-cooked meals, to make sure that you're making the book week costume from scratch. And and there's so much pressure on women. And on the outside, we develop these perfectionist tendencies, which Mm -hmm. make us look like, yeah, nothing to see here. I've got this covered. It's all okay. And inside, we're dying. And alcohol is a really quick fix to make those feelings that are not very pleasant go away in the short term. Why do you think we need this perfectionism facade? Because I think that it's been massively, we've been we've been sold that we should be able to cope, that we should, you know, that we, we wear this badge of honour of, yeah. oh, I'm so busy, I've got so much that I can do, and we look around at others, and not many people are out there going, it's hard and I'm struggling. Yeah, no, they're not. And and do you think it's also even more increased with with the selfie phase for this generation that, you know, it's in a time when the social imaging has been very much, you know, the ideal self and only people seem to post about these ideal days and things that they're doing in lives and never post the, the bad things. Absolutely. So then we've got this comparison going on of thinking, oh, well, gosh, well, she's getting up at half past four to go to a 5am gym class. I should be able to do that. And Mm. oh, look, she's 
batch cooking eight meals on a Sunday afternoon. I need to be able to do that. And we're just comparing because nobody's showing the, the shit show of what's happening behind closed doors, are they? No. They're just showing, oh, look how perfect my life is. This is how wonderful everything is. And then that just makes everybody that's looking at it feel bad that they're not good enough and they've got to step up a bit. Yeah, and the tension within marriages and families as a result of mum then, as you say, drinking to obliv to find oblivion or, or the stress that, you know, is there before she starts drinking and both. I mean, dreadful for, for the whole family. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the work that I do is firstly, let's look at removing the alcohol, but secondly, let's look at creating a life you don't want or need to escape from. Yes, that's the heart of all of this. That's yes. the heart of of not drinking. Mm. Is is how do I create a life where I am feeling okay and managing my stress and having a regulated nervous system, so I don't want or need to drink. Oh, and all the pressures that by then the, that woman is having to offload, um, face, um, confront, put away, like expectations from mother-in-law or you know, best friends or social groups, peer pressures. Yeah, so much to disengage and dismantle in people's lives, potentially. Absolutely. And and that doesn't, and that feels overwhelming and it feels mm -hmm. hard. So we just kind of go, nah, that's in the too hard basket. Yeah. I'm just going to sit here and keep drinking my wine. But what I find that happens with most of my clients is that there's a tipping point and we just reach that point where the discomfort becomes too much yes. and and while it's a short-term avoidance of discomfort in terms of in the moment it turns off a busy mind it helps us to reach oblivion the long term it's not a solution and mm -hmm. and, and there's a tipping point that comes where we realize this short-term solution has to go and we've got to do that deeper work yeah, and you shared in our other podcast on grey drinking where that tipping point was for you to fall over at a party. And, you know, I see that too in my work, of course, that, as you say, women get to a point where the, the discomfort of facing and sorry, the the yeah, the discomfort in facing the discomfort is is less now than the discomfort of continuing. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I have ladies who are in my group and they, you know, I have a free Facebook community with over 12,000 women and they've just been sat watching for a year, for 18 months. And then one day they'll mm. send me an email and go, I'm ready now. Yeah. And, and, and it's important to know that there are stages of change and, and, and we might stay in that stage of contemplation where we're thinking about doing something, but we're not quite ready to make that step. We yeah. might sit there for a year or 18 months yes. and that's okay. Because yes. we, we, we've got to that point where we've acknowledged that we are going to do something about it. We just don't know when. Um, but it's really important to note that there's there's probably never a good time. There's always going to be a party, a wedding, a holiday, a function where we're like, I can't not drink at that. Um, but as I say to everyone, just give yourself that that short break to start with. Do 30 days and just notice and see how you feel. Fantastic. And such a beautiful approach, Sarah, because I think those women who are beating themselves up to be perfect are going to beat themselves up that then they have to solve the alcohol problem and punishing themselves about it. Whereas you're taking a very, very realistic, but also gentle, loving, nurturing, feminine approach that's practical and realistic. Yeah. And I, and it happens a lot where I have clients who will go, right, okay, I've got to change my drinking. I've got to stop. And they might do four or five days 
and then they have a drink and then they beat themselves up and then they're so hard on themselves. Oh my God, I couldn't even do a week. I'm so weak. I'm rubbish. And, and then this self-talk starts. And it's really important to know that it's it's hard to give yes. up alcohol in an alcohol-centric society. And yes. if you struggle to do that, it's not your fault. No. And as you say, it is an alcohol-centric society very much. And do you know why it's become so much like that? There's a really interesting article on ABC. I'll see if I can find it and I'll send it to you. And it's um, really well written. And it's the history of the Australian drinking culture. And it talks about when alcohol was first introduced to Australia um, and and how it's progressed from there. But it's really interesting because as a Brit, the Brits have got a very um, boozy lifestyle. Mm. And, And then coming to Australia to compare but the the difference that I noticed definitely is in the UK of course every village is centered around the local pub and the local pub is where you go to have your Sunday lunch have your roast dinner chat with all the locals that Mm -hmm. was like the most social hub of Mm -hmm. the village and I grew up in pub gardens like that was kind of you know what the family do but it's not a place that's focused around getting drunk it -hmm. will have um kids play um equipment outside it will have a corner with a fire and games of Yahtzee and Scrabble and things that you can come in and do it's the focus of that is not let's get drunk the focus is let's bring people together to to have a drink to eat some nice food and to connect I haven't really yet seen anywhere in Australia where the focus of an establishment that sells alcohol Mm. is not either a restaurant where you're going for a meal or a bar where you're going to get drunk yeah. There's not many places that you would just go into to just socialize, have a, a drink at lunchtime and have something to eat and mm. then go home. And I'm sure even though that's the case, that there are some people who do meet regularly for to meet up with their friends um, and not to get drunk. I'm sure it's not just sort of everyone that's going there to get drunk, but you're right. It's a very much an emphasis. And, and I think, you know, the penal colonies that were how much of Australia was set up were um, very much um, influenced by alcohol with the rum rebellion in Sydney and so forth. Yeah. It's it's fascinating historically. And, and I think we're in a perfect storm of that generation now, 40 to 50 year old women who are uh, dealing with all of this, these variables of commercialization of alcohol and the the drive, the pressure that's that's going running through society and for women in particular, it's a, it's an opportunity, isn't it, for women to, I guess, push back and empower themselves against all of these pressures from society. It absolutely is. It's really interesting to to look at some of the history behind the marketing of alcohol and when Mm. the big alcohol made the decision to start deliberately targeting women because they had identified that that was the demographic that they weren't making enough money from. So they changed all of their marketing strategies to target women and they created the Alcopop and all of those like drinks that taste like fruit juice but are highly um, alcoholic Mm. and they did that deliberately to target young girls so that the girls would then stick with that brand when they were older and they were choosing to drink the the more adult version of those drinks and in correlation to alcohol companies deciding to target women and so too went up the number of deaths by alcohol in women and the number of cases of liver disease um, by alcohol in women. Shocking. Yeah. So shocking. Yeah. And you referred earlier on to never being the right time to give up alcohol because of the parties and so forth. 
it's something I hear you know, a lot as well, and it's it's always shocking to me that you know there are so many non-alcoholic drinks that c- people can be drinking at functions. Uh, you know, I wonder w- why there's that blind spot that why wouldn't I just be drinking something different or not drinking at all? Um, I don't understand it often. Yeah, and I think that the um, the establishments have got a long way to come in offering alcohol-free options so um there's I mean over here in Perth there's very rarely would you ever find an alcohol-free drink on a menu in a restaurant or a bar that wasn't like a soft drink and I'm like I'm 46 years old I don't want a fire engine or a lemonade I would like an adult tasting drink and maybe there'll be an alcohol-free beer so there quite often will be an alcohol-free beer but finding an alcohol-free wine or champagne on menus is pretty much non-existent um, and so, again, there's a long way to go. But if you go into a party, if you're going somewhere yourself, take your alcohol-free bubbles with you. Um, they're really good now. There's some really, really good ones. And if you go on my website, you'll see the whole list of the ones that I recommend that I've tried and that I know are good. Fantastic. And, of course, there's mineral water and things like that. Exactly. But, exactly. But I guess, again, we're getting back to the pressure that's put on people and society to look a certain way, behave a certain way and you know, there's a lot of pressure on people who do start to stand up to alcohol and they get a lot, meet a lot of resistance with their peers. Yeah, I've got a client who's a lawyer. He's a very senior lawyer. Um, and we have to sit down every week to look at the events that he's got in his diary with clients and colleagues and decide what his excuse is going to be for oh. each one as to why he's not drinking. Oh. Like the, the fact that we even have to do that yes. just says, speaks volumes about where the society is at with regards to alcohol. And also to, you know, congratulate him on his empowerment through that process that he's yeah. doing that. Because don't you find, I find this all the time, that when people give up addictions or they resolve them, their self-esteem goes through the roof. Absolutely. Uh, that, and that was definitely it for me. Like, that feeling of just like, oh my God, I've done this. Yes. This is, you know, I'm I'm incredible for doing this in a world where alcohol is thrust at me in every mm. possible scenario. Um, I feel like quite a rebel. Absolutely. And hopefully we're in our lifetimes, uh, we'll see that change and it won't be seen and we won't see ourselves as rebels to stand up to alcohol, but it, that it becomes much more of a norm. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, we do wonder whether it will go the same way that smoking has, you know, who would have thought, you know, 20, 30 years ago that people would be, um, you know, really demonising smoking, but it certainly has happened. It has. It certainly has. And I think, the, you know, a lot of people would say, well, smoking is, affects people passively, but alcohol has a ripple effect in the community and in families, and it has it an does. effect on others, you know, who are related and, and dealing with uh, the person struggling with the alcohol. Exactly. Like most cases of domestic violence, um, sexual assault, there are, you know, many, many cases of, um, of situations like that that have been under the influence of alcohol. Yep. And it's important to note that when we drink alcohol, the prefrontal cortex part of the brain, of the brain where we're responsible for rational thought, pretty much shuts down. Mm. So that's why, you know, this is a chemical, a a biological response that happens. So we do and say things that we would never normally say and do if we weren't under the influence of alcohol. We lose control of of what the things we're going to say and do. And so it's really important that we know that there is a reason behind that happening. It's not just, oh, it's funny, I've had a few drinks. Like the actual part of your brain responsible for rational thought shuts down when we drink alcohol. 
You're right. That gets so minimised and deflected and dismissed as something funny when, in fact, if there was anything other that we were taking that would render us to lose control, we'd take it seriously. Yeah, because people do, like, silly things under the influence of alcohol, people that get in cars and drive, and, mm. and I'm sure that they would say when they were sober, I would never drink drive, but then yeah. after a few drinks, you know, and, and so you see so many situations where people have done things and they lose their lives or they end up, you know, causing so much harm to other people, and it's something they would never have done if they hadn't had a drink. And it's always tragic when it's a serious crime or situation that occurs when it could have been nipped in the bud, it could have been dealt with before the person gets to that point. So I think, if anything, this podcast hopefully will raise awareness for people who either are considering that maybe this is them or maybe their friend or their daughter or mother, um, wife, sister, that the sooner we intervene, like anything in life, the easier it is and the less regret we're going to have. Yeah. It's like in society we demonise alcoholics we you know the people that are the 10 out of 10 on that scale of drinking but they were a five one day they were they do you know what I mean you don't just wake up and be a 10 out of 10 alcohol Mm. is addictive and our tolerance increases so we need more and more so we end up drinking more and more and more and I have seen in many many recovery groups women who never thought they would end up at that 10 out of 10 stage of dependency on alcohol because they were professional women who were holding down jobs and doing all of those things but alcohol is it's insidious the way it creeps up on you that dependence and and so it's always important to remember that you're never safe if you're a five or a six out of ten on that scale now you are not safe from not becoming a nine or a ten good point And so if people want to have help with you and find you to work with you, um, they can find you at your website. Yeah, so sarahrusbatch.com. Fantastic. And you do group work as well as individual coaching um, and wellness. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for anyone looking to take a break from alcohol, the biggest benefit is doing it alongside others. Because we live in an alcohol-centric society. So if you're surrounded by people that are drinking all the time, if you can give yourself the opportunity to to be in a group with others who are all taking a break from alcohol at the same time, it makes all the difference. All the difference and also um, not setting yourself up for a fall so that it's much more likely to be successful. Exactly. And, and not sort of demoralising to try it on your own in isolation without the support. You know, all the research shows that the more support we have, the more we lean on it, the faster and better we get through things in life. So the fact that you're running these support groups is awesome. Yeah. So I'm going to have a challenge, um, a 30-day challenge that will run um, from early January. And that will be for everyone that wants to take that break from alcohol after the Christmas period and, and really what I do is I don't just remove the alcohol and then we all just hang on and count the days until day 31 and then we go get drunk it's 30 days of if I'm removing alcohol what am I adding in instead Beautiful. what am I what am I doing to ensure that I feel good that I'm still keeping my energy up what new ways am I going to use to manage my stress to manage that feeling at the end of the day where I feel utterly depleted and I want to switch off my busy brain what can I do instead and I've got a resource which is a hundred things to do instead of drink wine Oh, how fantastic, because we know that if you just take out from the person whatever their crutch is and don't replace it, it's impossible. Exactly. Yeah. Brilliant. Sarah, thank you so much for being a guest again on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. 
It's awesome. Such invaluable work you do. Thank you. I really appreciate coming on here. Thank you too. If anything discussed in this podcast has caused you concern or distress, contact your general practitioner or health provider. To locate a psychologist in your area, call the Australian Psychological Society and locate Find a Psychologist service on 1800 333 497 or visit www.findapsychologist.org.au. If you or someone you know is in crisis, Lifeline is available 24-7 on 13 11 14 and Kids Helpline, again 24-7, on 1800-55-1800 and both are free of charge. To find out more about me, please visit my website, dramandaferguson.com.au. You can find the link in my show notes. The opinions expressed by guests in these podcasts aren't necessarily shared by me.